Today's episode is brought to you by Patchwork Seattle, Needham Woodworks, the finest Euro rack cases in the game, and Afterlater Audio. Please go check out Afterlater Audio's three new modules in their heritage line, the steps, the slopes, and the blend. All three came with me uh, to my trip to Wyoming and were indispensable. Um, excellent, excellent modules in that heritage line. So again, please check out Afterlater Audio and thank you to Needham Woodworks and Patchworks Seattle. That's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S dot com. And if you like this track that you hear uh, playing below me, then please head over to the DIN Labels Bandcamp and check it out. It's the Tone Science Volume 4 featuring myself, Light Bath, Panic Girl, Andrew Huang, and more. I'm so honored to be a part of it, so please go check it out. I want to take a few moments here to talk about Synth Booth, an interactive online experience where modular synth makers, musicians, and enthusiasts can connect with their community in a safe and accessible setting. Synthbooth is hosted virtually using an attendee web and mobile application and features panel discussions, educational sessions, a keynote, virtual exhibitor booths, community chat rooms, and music performances. This will be taking place October 16th through the 18th, and you can get your tickets online right now at synthbooth.com. Suzanne Chiani is going to be there, Bana Hafar is going to be there, and Annie. I mean, a, a whole plethora of amazing performances and amazing manufacturers and speakers. Synthbooth.com for your tickets. And if you're wondering, what is this crazy awesome thing that is going on under Tim's voice? Well, that's just uh, a guitar and the reverb pedal from Empress Effects. I just got it, and I gotta tell you, it's one of the most lush sounding, versatile reverb pedals I've ever played with. Um, so please visit them online at empresseffects.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held and holy Moses, we got Heimbach on the show this week. I feel like I don't need to do any introductions on who Heimbach is. If you know what this show is, then you definitely know who Heimbach is. And I'm just so excited to have uh, had the opportunity to talk to him. And, and uh, I'm so grateful that he was so gracious with his time. It's one of those conversations that just flew right by um, and we jump right into it. So... Um, yeah, I'm really, really excited to share this with you. And I've got a lot of other really fun things to share with you uh, this week. I'll try not to go too long on this intro, but um, yeah, some really cool stuff is happening out there in, in the modular world, uh, you know, not just PodMod, but beyond. And one of the things I want to tell you about is a new podcast out there in the modular world. It's called The Deer Hoof, hosted by Jay Ryan. It is a podcast that focuses in on Chia Lombard instruments and the artists who use them. And I'm just so excited about this because those instruments are, are so beautiful, like in appearance and in sound, but also really mysterious. Like, how do you say it? Is it Siat? Is it Chiat? Jay doesn't even know. He says so in the intro. So... It's going to be really fun to uh, be able to dive into this world and get to know it. Um, I think our, our guest today even uses uh, the, the Chiat Lombard stuff quite a bit. So yeah, 
There's a link in the bio to the Podbean. It will be available on uh, all the other podcast platforms as time goes on. But uh, I'm just so excited. More more podcasts in the modular world. I, I just love when they pop up, and especially when it's from people like Jay. I met Jay at Velocity last year, and him and Ellison from Waveform Magazine and I went and we uh, we shredded some sick gnar at the West Seattle <laughs> skate park. It was it was legendary, and uh, we've we've remained buds since. So uh, really excited for you, Jay. The next thing on the docket is uh, my appreciation for you Patreon subscribers. It really uh, means the world to me. You're helping to keep the LEDs blinking over here at PodMod. Quite literally, I couldn't do the show uh, weekly without you. Um, so thank you so much. And if you would like to help, please head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. There's some really cool uh, rewards. Most people just sign up because uh, they love the show. But if you want a little something extra, you can sign up at the tier where it's the personal patch And you give me some words and I'll make a patch for you. I'll send you a high quality wave file recording of it. And I'll even do a little video on Instagram for you. Um, and then I'll send you some words to do. And then I'll play your patch on an upcoming bonus episode where I uh, will show off uh, the audience's patches and uh, music that they've made with modular synthesis. So if you want to join an elite group where you can be at a dinner party when those things are a thing again, and you can get in people's face because you've got so much energy and you want to just make everybody know that you're just such a good person, you can say, guess what? There's this guy, he does this podcast, and without me, you couldn't do that podcast. And you put your teeth together and you grit your teeth because you're just full of so much energy because the world is such a fucking crazy place right now, but you need some sort of outlet to make it a better place, and, and that's how you can do it. You can make the world a better place by heading over to patreon.com forward slash modular modcast and uh, supporting the show. Did I get a little too intense on that one? I just do these in the morning after my coffee, kind of make them up as I go. Um, I think I'm going to keep it though. It, se- it seems funny to me. It's always fun to grit your teeth and talk through your teeth like you're really intense, right? I don't know. Is it? Patreon.com forward slash popular podcast. So we're going to get into our chat soon here, but I just have a few more things I want to talk to you about. And one of those is my trip to Wyoming. I'm back. I didn't get eaten by bears, um, but I saw a lot of bears. And I got to say that that Yellowstone National Park and the uh, you know Grand Teton National Park area, um, maybe the most magical place I've ever been. There are a lot of people, which is kind of weird right now, um, but it's totally worth it. Geysers and the most wildlife I've ever seen, like jam-packed into uh, such a small, um, you know, amount of time. Uh, I want to do, I want to tell you about everything, but I did a lot of cool modular performances with some really cool backdrops, and I got a lot of really cool footage, um, and I'm, I'm in the process of editing all that right now. But I think I'll tell you about my whole journey on an upcoming episode where I'll, where I will play your patches and any new music you want to promote. So, uh, yeah. Look forward to that, and I just wanted to give you all a reminder to send me your patches. You know, do this week's patch challenge, or last week's, or the week before, and send me the wave or AIFF file, and uh, I'll start working on that episode to release in a few weeks. And the best place to send it is uh, podmodcast at gmail.com, or head over to the Discord server. Uh, we've got a really active podmod Discord server, and there is a section uh, that is all about the patch challenges, so you can upload them so people can check them out. You can put your videos there. There's even a music suggestions page so uh yeah it's really been popping off and i'm uh, so grateful to have such a cool community over there 
So I haven't had time to work up a demo for you uh, because I just got back from Wyoming and I wanted to make sure that I could get this episode out for you without missing a beat. But I do want to tell you about these new modules that 4MS sent me, uh, the percussion interface and the, uh, the percussion interface expander. Um, I haven't used them yet, but I know what they do and I've seen some videos and I'm just so excited. You can, uh, you can use like any sort of audio uh, source like your hand hitting a drum or a pick hitting a guitar string um, or a sample um, to create gates, envelopes, and uh, there's even there's even an envelope follower switch. So you can you can either generate an envelope or you can make an envelope follower, which is uh, I think. I can't decide which one I'm more excited about, to be honest, because I haven't used it. I'm holding it in my hand, and I'm about to plug it in and play with it. Um, but I have to go to work tonight, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go on a 10-mile hike. Yeah, I'm going to go on a... I haven't really hiked at all this year, and tomorrow morning we're waking up really early to drive two hours to then hike 10 miles in. On the first backpacking, and probably last because it's October... What am I, I... I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Anyways, please check out the 4MS percussion interface and the expander for it. It's... Uh, I've already seen some videos and it looks really, really cool. And uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess about with it next week. Okay, without any further ado, let's get into our chat with the one, the only, the legendary Heimbach. Yeah, I have, I have yet to uh, forget to... I've, I've yet to completely forget, but I have, um, I have had a file disappear and have to redo... A podcast once but yeah you know that is yeah. so horrible yeah i know I, I've, I've had the same thing like recording uh i i like did a full video like exploring the pulsar 23 just like the first few mm -hmm. minutes with it like uh how long does it take me to make something cool with this end boss of a drum machine because it looks really complicated and it took me six minutes and then I went on and I recorded 45 minutes and I was really happy. And then I realized, oh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, well, and, and that's something you like to do, right? <laughs> the audio did, like, all the, all the audio from the drum machine itself did Oh, my record. gosh. So I only had myself <laughs> being... <laughs> and that's something you like to do, right? It's, like, kind of out of the box. Like, what can I do with it right off the bat? So, yeah, exactly. Not, not look into the manual, just see how far you can go with just looking at the instrument itself and see what it brings you. And then only after I've done that, I start looking I, at manuals. I do the same thing. Sometimes oh. I, uh, I use something for, you know, weeks or months before I... Well, it's basically I'll do it until I hit a, a roadblock where I feel like, okay, I want to do something mm -hmm. else. But I always like... Um, I think it's just a part of the way my brain works. My... Um, my eyes tend to kind of glaze over when it's when it's manual time, and I don't absorb the information very well. Um, there are manuals that are so much fun mm -hmm. to read, like when they've got all these little aside boxes. Did you know Pierre Schaeffer <laughs> used to do this in 1953? So I was like, ah, oh, really? Okay, so that's interesting. So then it becomes like this thing that you want to read like comfortably, and be like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, this is good. Yeah. So, but good manuals. I mean, that's one of the hardest things to do right yeah i know it's one of the hardest so, things for I've, I've talked to many manufacturers and they say sometimes that's the most difficult thing to get right um or one of the hardest things to do in the whole process of creating a module um and i like you know i like when i see uh patch examples in the manual if it's a module you know or something a little yeah that is exactly i was just doing a like a live stream on analog computing and i was reading the book on analog computing called Analog and Hybrid Computer Programming by Bernd Ullmann. And there was a bouncing ball patch. And I was like, 
I know that from somewhere. Uh-huh. And then I looked to the maths uh-huh. manual and there it was, the bouncing ball patch. So I could, okay, so this is actually like a 1960s analog computing uh-huh. patch that uh, is in the manual to math. So I build it from oh, there that's on. so cool. That was fun. Yeah, that, that, uh, P- that mm. PDF that you can find online with, uh, I think it's like 50 pages or something and every page has a different... Um, way you can patch maths it's uh, if, if you're out there listening and you have a maths and you're unaware of that then get hunting it's it's a lot of fun i feel like you could spend you know you could spend a good portion of a season in that in that pdf document messing around with maths but um absolutely but we're not here to talk about maths we're here to get to know heimbach and um I know you, I, so I just, I've been listening to do a little, I don't like to do a whole lot of research, but to do a little research, I was listening to um, your episode with Ben and, um, and Ed over at Esoteric Modulation. So you, I feel like you guys really comprehensively covered your test equipment stuff. Um, so I just want to give that, that episode a shout out because it's a really fun episode to listen to. Um, but what I want to focus on today is basically I want to get to know a little bit about you personally. And then I really want to dive into Assertion, this new album, because reading the oh. um, kind of the, the band camp description of it, it, a lot of it really resonated with me. And I, I, want, I want more. I want to dive into that. But, um, but before we get there, I'm just curious, where, where did you grow up? In a small town in the Black Forest in Germany. Okay. So you're a small town. Near Freiburg. Okay. I am, yes, yes, yes. So, and I tried to, uh, as soon as I hit puberty, music became my way out of that world. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt the need from then on to just, I need to leave this place to find a place where I can make music. Is it, so. now, do, I'm a small town kid myself. I'm from a, like, my graduating mm-hmm. class in high school is 84 students. So everybody mm-hmm. in town knows everybody. And in a town like that, I had the same thing. I wanted to get out and music was my, you know, that was my, my escape plan. Um, do you find as you get older, you have like a, a, a new different appreciation for that small town or have you, or is it one of those I left and never looked back situations? I love being there every time I'm there. My mother still lives there and we go there every holiday and the kids love it there. Mm-hmm. So, because there's a lot of nature around and it's just nice for them to run in the garden. And if it's hot, you can just go to the, yeah, to the river and just put your feet in the river mm-hmm. and play there. And, uh, it's also <laughs> my oldest daughter. She really likes it because she, she thinks Berlin is dirty, <laughs> which it is, <laughs> especially our corner. Like Neukölln is such a dirty, rotten corner, mm-hmm. uh, where you see like, yeah, you see there's junkies, violence, all that stuff, lots of cars still, mm-hmm. and there's beautiful spots and, but still it is <laughs> objectively dirty and full of dog shit <laughs> compared to this small town in the Black Forest. Mm-hmm. So, and so she really, we moved, I'm like, I don't really want to. Yeah. So, even yeah. though I still have friends there, which I really love, and, I, and some just moved there, so it's amazing to go there and just have, yeah, friends that you used to play in a band with and, mm-hmm. yeah, go hiking and stuff like that. That's a new quality there to have again. But mm-hmm. all the cultural opportunities that Berlin offers, they are just so 
amazing. I mean, I used to say that before, at least before COVID happened, like the whole world would come here and you could just meet everybody by mm -hmm. just by staying here, yeah. <laughs> by just staying in Berlin. Everybody would at some point, yeah, I'm staying in Berlin. Can we meet up? Yeah. So that makes it so rich for me. So, mm -hmm. and you know, it's, we have the same thing. My wife and I, we're both kind of from small towns and we both we, we, we go camping. We've been camping probably six or seven times um, this summer. It's just something we, we make a high priority. And every time we get out of the city, we think, why do we live in the city? But then when we start to really thinking about, it's kind of the same thing that you're describing. Well, we have, we have these great friends here. There's, you know, before COVID, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do. Like just the, the opportunity, especially as an artist, is so much more rich in a city. Um, but yeah, I just totally resonate with exactly what you're saying here. Our, our, um, yeah, we have a really, really, oh, it's a really a crisis with, um, homelessness. Um, it's really sad. There's, there's not much being done about it and it's, it's really hard. It's like, you feel so powerless and you want to help, you know, mm -hmm. alleviate all of this and you know like the part of you that's maybe less enlightened wants to just run away from the world's problems to these small towns and stuff so yeah it's it's kind of there's a lot going on yeah there's on a there. lot especially like i just read an essay about like the escapism that is happening due to covid where like suddenly people that would never have done that consider i'll just move to the country and also mm -hmm. musicians i mean that are out of a job for like probably like one and a half to two years so mm -hmm. they, what yeah. are we gonna do? Like, there's there's no gigs, no live gigs. What are you gonna do? You probably can't afford the rent in the city, so you just go back to where your parents are or something like that. That's mm -hmm. something that I've see, I see I see, and that's happening. And there is there might be a, a change coming in the society where the pull from the cities, which used to be very strong, will lessen and people will go to the small towns. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, of course, always is that, I mean, in a small town, you're always just with those people there and mm -hmm. they're staying yeah. there for a long time. And in the city, I mean, you can be so close to so many people, but you're not really close and you can ignore them. You can't mm -hmm. ignore the people in your hometown. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very different kind of closeness. And yeah. Um, I don't know what will happen with this. And I think one thing that we humans are really bad is like taking, like, if you're in a situation, it's really hard to think about a moment when you're not in that situation. So mm -hmm. at some point, this will have passed and it will be dealt, it will have dealt itself somehow. So in like a year or two, like this will be gone and it will be somewhat back to a normal or like old. So, uh, then that pull might lessen, but I don't know. It's yeah. a... Yeah. Well, I mean, so many more companies now are being... Like, my, my best friend, for instance, he's, he's in the tech industry, and his company, not just for COVID, but they just decided, you know, after a few months of COVID and working from home, they, they you know, learned, like, hey, we can do this. We don't need an office space. Yeah. You know, yeah. everything can be done, and I think a lot of companies are going to go that way. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, and I mean, so it's affected your your uh, profession. I know, right? I mean, how 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 have you been? I mean, I know that's we're kind of jumping the gun talking about the album. I know the album is <laughs> kind of born out of some of this, but yeah, um, yeah like, are, are you? How is it going over there? Are you feeling things? Are they kind of adjusting back, or you nah. see, do you see a path back to normalcy? There is a few things that are returning. 
Like all my theater mm -hmm. work for half a year was basically canceled. And now it's coming back. Next week there are rehearsals starting for a play right around the corner from Berlin, Potsdam. It's uh, mm -hmm. just 45 minutes with a, with a tram, basically. And that will be a performance of theater. And it's mm -hmm. in a beautiful big theater space where it's supposed to be like, I think 400 people can see sit there, 500. But they ripped out all the seats and now there's just 99 seats and everybody oh has gosh. a lot of space <laughs> around them. So you feel like you're in an installation already. And uh -huh. fittingly, the play is Maria Stewart by Schiller, which plays already in a prison mostly. So oh, there's geez. a lot we can do. And then there's other things uh -huh. you have to think about. Like, okay, if actors are speaking, you need to have six meters distance from the edge of the stage. And that would have meant mm -hmm. like taking another row out from the 99 uh -huh. that we only have. So I said, so uh, what can we do to avoid that? Well, you have to put microports on them. So little microphones. <laughs> so it, then it's only three meters. So I'm going to meet up with a director and we're going to make a nice concept where we can use this mic this, these microports uh, creatively and use them to mm -hmm. create something that will have artistic meaning and not just technical necessity meaning. Yeah. So there's all these weird rules and I don't know how you can even, like even actors on stage, if they are uh, closer than 1.5 meters, they have to have masks on. So there's a lot of like stuff. No kissing scenes. No, how can it's even like, how can you, what's, so there's this very strict form <laughs> that you take over something that's n exactly not that, where it's all about people mm -hmm. like bodies throwing around and being there and art actors talking loudly and spitting all over the, because that's how they, <laughs> they project. So yeah, yeah. all that stuff, that's, gone and i really i i really don't know how these rehearsals will be so i'm basically basing also like my decisions if i like want to continue working this uh this like like about um this way on this play and how this works because it's weird rules so mm -hmm. so that but at least there's some kind of normalcy but everybody is expecting that any moment no it can be gone because you just mm -hmm. need like one uh, infected somewhere and then everything is going to be gone for two weeks and that will yeah. be two weeks of your rehearsal time and this it's hard to like isolate everything it yeah. seems same thing at school like there was one case in the neighboring class to my daughter and so that class was shut down for two weeks so while the mm -hmm. other classes were fine so that there they can kind of like in a submarine they can compartmentalize yeah. <laughs> close the hatch <laughs> so, you know i've been uh, thinking about a lot is um you know live performance whether it's music comedy or um you know plays theater um a lot of what i think is so meaningful and powerful about witnessing these live performances is the intimacy of it and now with these new space rules that kind of just you know shatters that in a way but at the same time i'm thinking like well it's in the hands of creatives to find a new way to 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 introduce this intimacy or or, or just to adapt i mean we as humans are so we're so adaptable and and especially i think create you know people who have mm -hmm. creative minds often have great solutions to problems that at first could seem insurmountable so i'm kind of curious and i would love to hear back from you if you if going through this process, as you start getting back into it, if you if you discover new things that to find ways around this new blockade that we have, 
I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, I had a live show actually last week. I'm one of the few artists oh, really? that had one. There was a, uh -huh. a up-to-date festival in Bialystok, which is in the far east of Poland. And I played the Philharmonic, and that's pretty perfect for a concert because there you can have like you can have, you have everything is seated, so you can like okay one space, one space, one space, one space, one space, and mm -hmm. I did it together with my visual artist, and we had a giant screen we could project on, and we had a great sound system there and a nice crew, and it was really, it was the perfect way to do a concert in these times because it was you could abide by all the rules. Everybody got the what's it called the. The when you the measure temperature. the temperature, so beep 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 mm -hmm. beep beep, and mm -hmm. uh, masks on everywhere, uh, no drinks anywhere. So that was really, I mean, it was so incredibly freeing to play live. It was I so bet. good to like hear the bass in the room and like have people uh, come up later like with glowing eyes because that's all you see. You see <laughs> and tell you, ah, this was a good show <laughs> and be like, okay, so you feel this, you feel this thing in the moment again. And for me, who I'm basically in this whole thing because I love playing live. So this was for me, again, such a well of, of well-being. So mm -hmm. uh, to do this show, and that's one good thing about my music. It's very much possible to just sit there, experience it, listen to it, and be taken away by it. So go mm -hmm. on this little story that I tell, and together with my visual artist, we tell the story together. So you can mm -hmm. watch and be uh, in this whole abstract dream that takes you somewhere very weird yeah. but <laughs> very deep so well, you, that was a great opportunity to play that and to feel that again mm -hmm. and yeah. it made me realize how important it is for myself to to do that but of course like I would never now like just looking at thinking about playing inside somewhere that is a club or something I would just say no no way this is yeah. not no seated concerts yeah. like this is a good thing this is very works really well like do we've got the proper infrastructure in place mm -hmm. and something you mentioned is something that I find I'm missing the most during COVID is is if you go to a good show there like you put it perfectly a sense of well-being You, it's there's a reason people go to live music and and that feeling that you get when the artist and the the, the audience seem to be on the same wavelength it creates a really good vibe and um, it's just it's just I think it's just good for you um, what was that like one I mean you kind of just described it but getting back into it but like performing in this new environment was was there an extra layer of that? that sense of community and interaction with people or did it feel diminished because of the restrictions? It was diminished, somewhere of course. In between. It was yeah. diminished. Like there was no like hanging out at the merch table. There was none of this yeah. like really close contact it was basically, I went off stage, everybody was carted out and then, um, yeah, so the next artist played or like there was a break and next artist played but I didn't get to have any contact like with much of the audience except for the staff that mm -hmm. was around. So, mm -hmm. uh, and that's really that's a bit i mean it's always two things like it's at the, at the same time you're kind of relieved you know because mm -hmm. you don't want to like connect with too many people and you don't want to be with too many people it's like except mm -hmm. when you're outside and have can everything can do the distance and have the mask and everything but 
too many contacts they feel like ah yeah doesn't feel yeah, doesn't yeah. feel good so especially if everybody wants to come through and shake your hand or give you a yeah, hug mm, no <laughs> <laughs> so oh, which is which is yeah so it is it It is a weird schizophrenic situation in that regard. And I was very mm -hmm. torn if I even should do this concert. But I knew the people. I played like warm-up to that festival last year. So I knew they would they were great and they would they were responsible and they would do a good job mm -hmm. with that. So that would make me like, okay, so let's go there and do this. So Yeah. But it's you're in two it's in two minds about these things. I know other artists that do music that requires people to be together in a room and basically dance and uh, yeah. do a mosh pit together and all this mm -hmm. stuff and drink, which is impossible now. So they mm -hmm. uh, they are saying, okay, no, nah, it's not, we can't, we just can't. We can't, yeah. it's our music, our style, and uh, we can't just switch to doing acoustic covers <laughs> for a seated audience. <laughs> it's impossible, it's impossible. So then you have to say, no, I can't do it. Yeah, and I wonder how much just this is going to affect everybody psychologically. Like, even say we get a vaccine that's safe and, and works, I don't think that's going to just overnight bring things. I mean, there are going to be people who want to jump, you know, there's going to be people who want to jump straight back into normal life, but... I think even people who think they want to may find that they may have some trepidation or maybe some um, agoraphobia or germophobia or something getting back into it after this. Who knows? It's such a weird psychological... That's just weird. It's very weird. It is, <laughs> definitely. Um, but let's, uh, let's move on from from pandemics and crises. <laughs> so in in your in your small town you you mentioned you played in some bands. I'm curious like what was what was some of the earliest music that you can remember that kind of resonated with you that that clicked in your head and, and embedded in your soul or who embedded in my soul uh that sounds mm -hmm. that's I mean I The first music that I played that really resonated with me, I learned the piano early on and I loved Bartok. So Bela Bartok, mm -hmm. I loved like Hungarian dance and all these pieces. I, I, I loved, yeah, I, uh, I remember one song is called Bordal, which means drinking song. And I remember <laughs> loving those rhythms. Like, okay, this is very good. This is, I, I mm. like this. I really like this. Mm. But the thing that really stuck with me first, I think, were like game soundtracks. So on the Amiga mm -hmm. and C64, those were the melodies that like completely started to worm their way into into me. And mm -hmm. listening to something like Turrican by Chris Hulsbeck and R-Type, again, I think it's also Chris Hulsbeck, uh, Rob Hubbard and all the other composers of that area had a special, was something special for me. So special, in fact, that I recorded those onto cassette and gave them to my piano teacher to transcribe for me so I could stop playing oh, nice. those on the <laughs> piano. <laughs> and uh, then I think the first thing that really hit me that is not game music, I think that was probably Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, wow. Such a, I got, <laughs> That's uh, a right-hand turn there. <laughs> yeah, I think when I was 14, I got a stereo, and um, there I got, like four, I got four metal CDs. And one mm -hmm. of those was Fear of the Dark. And I listened to that on headphones night through night through night. I really uh -huh. loved that album. And I think it was the live version even with uh, 
where the whole crowd starts singing the song. I was... <laughs> That was very special, I think. That was something that touched me at that point. I mean, I was a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid with long hair. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so <laughs> that was the first thing. But then it quickly went to when I started with the band. I discovered stuff like The Doors through the band. And I remember listening to Show Me the Way to the Next Whiskey Bar, uh, the whiskey song, mm -hmm. which is by Kurt Weil and was sung by The Doors. And I remember listening to that while I had a fever on it and it completely messed me up that song like it was this is what is this what is this and then i started researching who made the is it the doors and who made this song what is it? ah and i realized okay that's Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht who wrote this and i started researching into the three penny opera and i started from there on i started it was aided by John Peel on the radio so there were like reruns of John Peel shows that someone recorded on tape on the local free radio And I was like, what is this? What is this kind of music? This sounds like bombs going off in the distance while you're in a bunker. What is this? So, and of course, there were no <laughs> show notes that I could access. And it was just, and I had to write down, I had to understand, what is he saying? What was that? And then I didn't much know where to go with that information because uh, at that time, like, it just started that record stores that had these kind of music started to appear. So mm -hmm. I was happy to discover that there was a warp row in a, a record store and when i discovered selected ambient works too all was mm -hmm. off so that was yeah an introduction <laughs> to something completely different and from there i thought okay there's there's something beyond like the stuff that i'm listening to now and i gotta delve deeper and yeah yeah that's really early memories so i what what, what was your instrument that you played in the band The first instrument was uh, one of these Yamaha cheap like home keyboards, and okay. I bought that because it was cheap. It had um, it had a organ sound that was halfway decent and one string sound that was okayish, mm -hmm. and because it looked horribly uncool, I tried to make it look cool by by painting it like uh, a zero, one of those. World War II Japanese fighters because I think it was a <laughs> I think there was a, was it called Black Sheep or something like a TV show about uh, uh, U.S. Army U.S. Navy uh, fighter squadron and they encountered these zeros which I thought looked incredibly cool so I made look made it look like really ah like tried to make it look cool <laughs> with a little that I had and my old uh, airbrush from my model building times so. That was the first oh, one. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well, man, I, there's so many directions I want to go with everything that you just talked about. Um, I'm trying to pick one right now, but I want to... Uh, game music, and then you, you mentioned listening to that song on repeat a lot while you had a fever. Um, I wonder how much of that repetitiveness influenced what you would end up making. Like, I feel like repetitiveness happens is, is something that's just more common in, um, in electronic music and something that... I uh, I don't know. It takes some. You have to learn how to listen to music that I think changes slowly over time. Um, and I would just and I wonder how much game music inf like influenced you, or I'm even thinking me in that way. Because when you're playing a game, if you're in a certain part of that game, that song that might only be a minute and a half long, you're listening to for hours mm -hmm. potentially. The one that pops into my mind is Final Fantasy mm -hmm. VII. Mm -hmm. um, I can listen to that soundtrack just for hours it's one of my favorite pieces of music um 
So I just, yeah, just kind of curious of how much you think that embedded embeds into people. The interesting thing about games is that while the soundtrack is always the same, what you're doing changes. So every repetition mm -hmm. is already something different. So constantly the way the music colors what you're doing is changing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, that's one of the nice things about repetitiveness. It's not, as, at some point, the repetitiveness is not repetitive anymore because mm -hmm. you change while you're listening to it. Exactly, yeah. So, and I think mm -hmm. with game soundtrack, that's... you can hear that that theory or that, uh, yeah, basically the most direct Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it's something I try to, um, I, I take on students occasionally for like online modular lessons and give, you know, mostly like not even so much lessons, more like creative consultation and especially about like, how, like with recording and, and live performance. So, you know, new people who are new to live performance and something that I try to, you know, instill into them is like change is important, but it's there's many ways to make these changes and it's, and it just takes subtle change for intrigue to kind of be re like retained over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So I try to think of different ways to describe or, or ways for them to think about how they can introduce subtle change, whether it's melodic or, you know, sonically texture, you know, and timbre. And I really like that. that I haven't thought about that, but that makes so much sense of why that song maybe doesn't sound so repetitive while you're playing because you're constantly progressing in the game or doing some different task. I'm, I'm, I really like that. I want to take that and digest that. And I wonder how that cool happens when you're watching that. or when you're half watching while streaming or something. So mm -hmm. I think I've noticed that sometimes I thought, oh, this gets annoying, but that was like when I had the game running just in the background and mm -hmm. the person like that played it was stuck at the point. So the music didn't change for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And then it made me look, what's he doing there? This seems kind of, uh, okay. So, because then there's no change. If you don't watch the change, yeah. then it becomes yeah, basically like a stuck, something that's stuck. But I really, mm -hmm. I really think there is, um, it's better to repeat things like double the time than you would repeat them when you start out. So I learned to, mm -hmm. from especially through my tape experiments, when I started to half speed everything and record something on tape and then play it back at half speed, which makes everything both, both an octave lower and also half the time, to basically take that emptiness that happens when you do that operation and build that in in the original composition that the effect once I half speed it is either even more or it's absolutely not necessary anymore. So mm -hmm. that coolness yeah. of not playing that this technical process of halving speed on a tape player has, I try to learn from that and do so little, especially when I play live, that every change that I do has to be important. It has to be something that mm -hmm. is impactful. And I try to keep the mm -hmm. system running and then the change happens. And change is exciting. Mm -hmm. <sighs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I, I also say 
that you kind of just hit on when I'm when I'm with my students, uh, you know, teaching them how to do live stuff is the moment that you feel like you're about to change something because you feel like it's gotten too repetitive. That's when you know not to change. Wait <laughs> to wait. double the time because you are yeah, and that's what I say. I say that moment that you feel that that means you still have a little bit to go because you're familiar with it. You're close to it. You know it. They're still getting to know it. So if you change it too quickly, they didn't have time to get familiar and, and bond with whatever is happening at the I time. I absolutely um, agree on that. And absolutely agree. Yeah. It's something I actually will take notes on when I play live. I, I write myself notes on paper and I'll often write in big block letters on top, take your time or breathe mm -hmm. because I, I have a tendency to think, okay, I'm, this is becoming, I have this weird thing where the, the repetition sometimes to me, I feel like it's an imposition on the audience oh. and that's just, it's not true. It's me being self-conscious. Mm -hmm. Um, and then another thing you touched on there, which I like to really, everything has to serve the entire piece as a, as, as the, so every change, you know, it, it, I feel like it, it has to serve it as a whole. Um, and I, th I think that's obvious, but it's something that I like to em emphasize because, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts with a live set when you're trying to build it. And there's a lot of things you have to keep in mind, but yeah, um, I kind of just lost my train. <laughs> no, I think I see what you mean. It's especially, I don't know where your students come from, but especially if you come from a band background or something like that, changes mm -hmm. and they, oftentimes when you're used to the pop song structure, changes are really timed. So you get eight beats for that, 16 mm -hmm. bars for that, then you've got another 16 bars for that, then you've got four for this, and then you got, so it's very much, you get used to a timeline. And when you try to apply mm -hmm. that timeline to electronic music, it gets really hard or it gets really like mm -hmm. too fast. And I think the worst concerts electronically that I've seen were those that never develop on a theme, but just keep on switching themes. Like I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and I can do this. Look what all I can do. <laughs> ah. So there's nowhere yeah. <laughs> in anymore because someone is showing me all the mm -hmm. stuff that they they can do. So, but it's not interesting anymore because there's no room for myself. And that's something yeah. I had to learn for quite some time to leave room for others in my music and leave, an, leave mm -hmm. a void basically where the listener can put themselves in and that's yeah. the that's basically the service part of making music it's not being so possessive that you have to mm -hmm. uh, I wish you could see <laughs> I look just look at see the face that I'm doing now <laughs> it's like <laughs> I look like the witch from some German folktale <laughs> I want all of this for me <laughs> uh, uh, so you can put well, you can put yeah, the screenshot in the show notes <laughs> yeah yeah maybe oh, I'll no, do that but, um, <laughs> no but I was thinking like so just if you fill it, everything up with me, 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 there's no place for the, yeah, for the audience to, or for the listener to grow and become attached. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that just kind of hits on like, what are you making this for? Like, obviously self-expression is part of it and, you know, entertaining yourself is part of it. But if you are taking the time to craft it to where you're going to present it to other people, ultimately you, you're doing it for them. It is a service and you want like, yeah, you're serving yourself too. And I'm not saying you should, you know, sell out or do something you wouldn't want to do. But I think something that I try to be very cognizant of when I set up a live show is who, who am I playing to and where is it? And, 
you know, like if I'm playing to a modular audience, I know it's a modular crowd. It's going to be different than if I book a show with like, you know, some, a pop, uh, like a pop electro band at a bar. I'm going to add more beats when I play mm-hmm. at the bar because I want people to ultimately like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like I want people to enjoy themselves at least. Maybe they won't think it's the best thing in the world, but I don't want to impose upon somebody um, a, uh, a trying experience or something that they wouldn't like. Um, I feel it's like storytelling. I think I kind of veered off a little it's bit. storytelling. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm very yeah, much concerned very important, with in my like. music, especially in a live show. Mm-hmm. I think telling a story over the hour of the uh, over the hour that you're performing, that is um, that is the main goal. And there, of course, mm-hmm. I, I agree. The venue has its uh, place. So the venue defines your acoustics. So then the timing slot also defines what you can tell. So if you're playing late mm-hmm. at night, like at two, you, you know you will get listen more audience reaction if you keep something pulsing and pumping there. So that helps. Mm-hmm. But still, you have to think first. I mean, I do that. So I have to think of the story I want to tell within the arc and the time that I have. And then I can choose mm-hmm. and adapt the tools to the situation. And mm-hmm. that is so, that is, I have preferences how I like to play and things how I don't like to play. And I don't change genres anymore, basically. I never change genres. I, you know, I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. about myself as putting in beats. I think about putting in pulses versus uh, uh-huh. playing calmer stuff, versus playing waves more. So I don't, yeah, there's no genre change anymore. I used to like, just to exp- just to try that at some point where I tried to play with the very weird module instruments that I play, like C at Lombard. I tried to make mm-hmm. uh, a house set, and because <laughs> I was playing a backhand cantina, like the can- like the place right next to backhand, I thought, okay, let's make this a bit upbeat and bouncy, and it really worked. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was fun. It was. I was like, okay, I've done this now. I don't need to do it again. It was an experiment mm-hmm. that I found interesting, but not ultimately something that. Uh, I feel the need to repeat while in the stuff that I've developed now and I'm playing now basically where I go for this more deep dive into into the subconscious that interests mm-hmm. me more interests me more so yeah wait. I get the sense from you that that there's that and and I kind of I feel like I'm I'm I like to think about this thing, things, these things in a similar way, almost in like, um, like almost like a philosophical, it's like, it feels like it's got one foot in, 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 um, like philosophy, um, or even spiritualism. And then it's got another foot almost in like an academic approach. And I feel like, I feel like there's a really, you, you, you kind of have those two things. Like there's a Venn diagram of there's an overlapping there. And and I feel like you, you're nicely centered in that. Do you think that's accurate? It probably is. Um, I'm still searching for sounds and worlds and trying to see like horizons and building structures. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell a story and I try to, I take all these approaches and ultimately it's guided by the point where everything that you're thinking comes to, comes crashing down. And that's this hypnagogic state, right? Right before you fall asleep and the world drifts away and everything mm-hmm. you've been thinking becomes these multicolored, kites flying around and tears you away and it's just a very short moment where it's like you 
everything becomes very abstract. And then you enter this dreamlike logic. And the, this dreamlike mm -hmm. logic where everything has to be a certain way, but then it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Everything is very yeah. powerful and then it changes completely. So this mm -hmm. is kind of the, the narrative structure that I approach. Sudden changes and we can trust basically nothing because something else might just pop in. <laughs> But still, it has its own importance. So, and that's also due to my mm -hmm. that I do a lot of scoring work. The music has to be, it you would say fire. No, it has to be. It has to have importance. <laughs> it has. It has nothing. Uh -huh. There can't be not a, not a lame element in there. There can be nothing that's like mm -hmm. I just did this because I like this beep beep beep. There has to be mm -hmm. everything. Has to have weight. There has to be something mm -hmm. behind it. So that's why all the sounds yeah. that I use, everything is something, there's more to that. Uh, I use the OP1, mm -hmm. for example, and I've sampled stuff that has personal meaning to me. I've sampled stuff that was just like a bunch of people in a lecture going, oh, and then it sounds okay. So, And you can hear clinking <laughs> of a glass in the background. And suddenly, once you amplify that through a big PA, there's many people with you in the room suddenly. Then there's orchestral stuff that mm -hmm. I sampled from an orchestra piece that I did. And you can, again, many people suddenly appear like ghosts in this room and that gives the sound that is weight, gives it weight because it wasn't recorded in some, in some dead room with no one present except a sound engineer and a microphone. So <laughs> that's kind of the thing I mean. Dreams mm -hmm. are incredibly powerful even though they might not signify anything they might not mean anything mm -hmm. but you feel you're in them 100 i think that's at least my dreams people mm -hmm. other people's dreams might be different but that's just the way i structure yeah. my storytelling and i structure my i judge every sound and every thing that i play in the live sets mm-hmm I know you're a big reader and just from listening to you talk just now and on, on, uh, other, you know, other times I've heard you speak about this stuff. Um, I get the sense like, do you, do you read a lot of Carl Jung or have you read a lot of Carl Jung or Zen koans or something? I feel like, I feel like there's I some like Eastern thought. And <laughs> a lot of poetry. I read a ton of poetry. That's, yeah. uh, I have this thing where I can't save a track or save a project unless it's got a name. So I always need to buy books mm -hmm. of poetry to steal good song titles from. <laughs> so I've got a lot of poetry. <laughs> and the po poetry is <laughs> in that regard related to how I do music because in poetry, when you go from it from a, the, the storytelling, the narratological, I think, perspective, you can jump from, mm -hmm. from one place to the other and from one perspective to the other within the space of four lines. And... That's mm -hmm. so amazing, just being able to do this thing where a book takes like da 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 blah 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 next paragraph. Let me follow this blah, 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 blah. in a poetry you can be four persons in three different rooms in four lines. It's just so mm -hmm. dense and all mm -hmm. of these these are like little seeds that get planted <laughs> and then they can sprout. Mm-hmm. Man. I love this stuff. We're already 40 minutes in. <laughs> this has gone by very quickly. I love talking about this kind of stuff. Um, so I definitely, before we, we, uh, we close out here, we got a little bit more time. Um, I want to, I want to talk about this new album, um, and, and how it came to be. Um, but before we do that, can you just 
kind of uh, briefly explain like what, what you do for a living and, and how you got into it with the theater and the sound stuff? Oh, what I do for a living is I basically yeah, mm. make music and put a camera on it while I do that music right now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I, but before that, I, I think... It started in 2007 that I almost went, 2008 that I went full-time composing after studies. It took me like mm -hmm. two to three years to tide over working uh, three days a week in a store that sells studio equipment in Hamburg. And I did the marketing and blogging and all of that stuff for that nice small outfit. But I, at the same time, I already did a lot of theater work, which I'd started during my time at the university and the free groups that I was in. And I got to know many different directors through that. And of all those that I worked with, one, one managed to make a career out of it. And we've been working since. So I'm meeting her like two days again to talk about the, the production in Potsdam to see mm -hmm. how that turns out. We've made like 70 productions now, I think. But oh, so wow. okay. I worked from that on 2007 and yeah, doing only music, completely nothing else i think 2009 or something when i moved to berlin and so everything that heinbach was heinbach was the thing that i did after my uh, one of my bands basically stopped so heinbach was the thing that was just my mm -hmm. solo project and i thought i don't want another band bands are stupid so uh, <laughs> Heinbach was the <laughs> solo <here>. thing. <laughs> uh, and I still had two bands after that. It takes, took me some time to... <laughs> no, but um, uh, I, I started Heinbach and Heinbach never had to be anything but the things that I wanted it to be. And there was never for me the thing, mm -hmm. okay, this needs to make money. I just did whatever I wanted because I was already by that time making my living just from writing for the theater and composing soundtracks, mm -hmm. basically. So I that freedom was always there. And that's that after some time, and especially after starting to started to put a camera on what I was doing as Heinbach, that that got success is such a gift because now this has basically taken over. And uh, the theater mm -hmm. is something that I can now just do because this is something I can pick productions that I like and then do them or not do them. While before I had to do like six productions maybe a year, six, to, I think the biggest, well, seven was the big, the longest that I did. And if you, in Germany, like a normal theater rehearsal time for a production is six weeks. And of those six weeks, okay. I'm usually three and a half to four weeks there, which with two kids, is super difficult because mm -hmm. sometimes these are in yeah, Switzerland, sometimes these are in Austria, sometimes these are in the other part of Germany. So there's so much traveling involved. And uh, I'm so thankful now that I can do most of the stuff that I can, that I do now from home. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so you were working on one of these productions um, during, you know, when the, the pandemic and the oh, quarantine yes. and everything started, I was right? right in a production. It was okay. very cool. It was um, Rosa Band, and it was in the city of Bielefeld. And we had just the second main rehearsal, and it, everything went well. And the next day, before we were supposed to address rehearsal, oh, and then the next day, and then the next day we had um, uh, the dress rehearsal, and then... The, the everybody met. I thought everybody meeting in the pandemic thingy. Uh, that everybody meeting seems kind of wrong, but okay. So everybody met in the big theater, and they said, "Yeah, 
The good thing is, this would have been the best season of our theater here. Now, everybody's like, oh, okay, so... Uh, the production got shut down. We just had a dress rehearsal and the idea was to freeze that production and then when it's over to unfreeze it and then present it, which of course will never happen, I think, because you would have to completely redo mm -hmm. it of all the, because of all the distance and new rules. So that's mm -hmm. impossible. So we had this really strange, only for the people that were in the theater, only the, only the, the people that worked there, we had this dress rehearsal and everybody went home. <laughs> it was empty and for me this was the week where I think everybody felt that where everything was cancelled like I had something to do at Ableton Loop with my landfill totems cancelled there was some I wanted to do it was of course a super booth where I'm always super busy cancelled Tom and Synth Reactor where I planned to yeah I wanted to record an album with Cuckoo actually because yeah we wiped so well oh, wow. we wiped <laughs> so well when I visited him in Oslo uh, that we wanted to mm -hmm. just take let's Get it's close ourselves in the piano room, and I bring Seattle Lombard, and you play piano, and then we just record. So that f didn't happen. Then all these concerts that were planned never happened. Another theater play, all canceled. So it got like into the into the fifth digits, like the money that I lost basically. And I was home, and it was I, I slept a night badly, and then I thought. I have to do something. I have to take back control. And I don't... I want to give something to everybody. So I recorded all day in my studio all these different parts. So people have been wanting sample packs from me for a long time. I only did them for the Patreon, but then I thought, eh, everybody, let's just do this. And I recorded some... Basically, a little Heinbach, best of Heinbach studio set with piano loops through mm -hmm. tape, with bandpass filters. And I released isolation loops just when everything was closing down. And so many people reacted to that. I made it free, pay what you want. So it was, I think it got how many downloads? 8,000 now, 8,000 downloads, 9,000 downloads. And uh, mm -hmm. it, was what struck me was that people were generous enough to leave some money and I could make some of the really, really crass uh, losses back. And then I thought, wow, this is, there is like a sense of community here. So I have to create more and I have to create more. Mm -hmm. And I thought I have to like, I can't do nothing. I can't fall into this desperate thing. So I started working on an album and I started doing live streams and I started so many other things all at the same time that I feel like I'm just only now recovering from all these things that I kicked loose. <laughs> and it, it was the main thing for me was in the end getting back a sense of control. And of course, I have a family to feed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and right, with, right. with nothing yeah. happening, uh, yeah, that was became the main focus. In the end. Yeah, you said something that's, I mean, I'm glad you found a way to, like you said, take back some control and, and, and give you, you know, have, having some agency in times like these is very important. Um, but you said, uh, the part of this, this really resonated with me as, uh, you said it, it was a way for out of the gloom of the situation, um, you know, and, and you, you mentioned you see the world becoming in many ways smaller and more closed minded and just, I'm sure you've yeah. seen what's been going on here in the United States for the last mm -hmm. four years and what's really come to a head here. It really resonated with me. And, um, 
Yeah, so thank you, I yeah. guess, is what I'm trying <laughs> thank to Thank you, that's from the liner notes nice to Assertion, to, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, that yeah. was part of the album because I fell I saw like the madness and the the ball oh, and it's got, I mean it's getting just worse now. It's oh it's just getting mm-hmm. worse and worse yeah. and worse. But I didn't want to fall in that hole. I didn't want to go into that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to sit in my studio and do depressive twenty minute drone tracks. I wanted to do <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go somewhere because back when I was in that little town, we didn't travel much. So we never went anywhere further than I think like an island in the, at the North Sea in Germany. But I used my music to travel and to go places. It felt like mm-hmm. I don't need to travel anymore. I, I've got my music. And that feeling lasted me for a long time. And in that times, I went back to this. And I went back to traveling in my music and to discovering all these places that are in the sounds and in the arrangements and in the way you put things together. And I was free again. I feel like I can move. There's mm-hmm. a horizon above me. There is a world. And that's why that music also was so helpful. And, and not help, it was help, I tried to make also music that's helpful to me. I went to uh-huh. the music yeah. that I think is one of the most optimistic and beautiful and that's the whole cosmic crowd of the 1970s harmonia cluster uh neu can and there's this optimism in there this beautiful like future uh, i think i think there was a book that called the sounds from a future past where you can see Uh same as with paintings of people how people in the past imagined the future to be with flying cars and oh, we live mm-hmm. we've got rockets yeah. like the jetsons and stuff like that <laughs> well we still have rockets <laughs> but uh and the flying cars yeah but um <laughs> so we see i i wanted to take that as an inspiration that optimism and i did stuff that i haven't done on the previous albums i put in beats i put in drums i collaborated with many other people not many but just two other people and i made something that felt where i tried to get the world a little bit closer again and except for one track i feel everything has a very uplifting vibe to yeah. it and that one track at some point they got okay so i can't it can't be all like going into the hope and the beautiful thing it there has to be some edge to it so i made one track that's really like ah apocalyptic <laughs> and that came directly from a live tr- from a from a track that i improvised first live um on a balcony concert because at that time you can see all these beautiful like seeing the beauty in human like see italy balcony concerts people singing across like balconies and i did the same thing with my visual artist orca because she lives just upstairs so i threw an hdmi cable from my camera which was pointed at my gear <laughs> up to her laptop uh-huh. she could process that and uh, use her visuals above that and we did an abstract electronic balcony concert show which oh my god that's so cool of <laughs> course it started to rain <laughs> and all the things that happen when oh you do no. an open air and suddenly like the day uh. before everything was 25 the 22 degrees nice and then it suddenly turned like to 12 degrees and it was freezing cold but it was a really great moment so so that track that I improvised there it sounded really dystopian and i still felt it came from this moment where everything felt good like to play live in this weird sort of way. So I I re- re-recorded that for the album. Okay. 
Very cool. Well, man, we are, we have burnt through this hour. Um, but before we go, and this is totally optional and I can edit this part out if you don't want to, um, and you don't have to do it live. You can do it once we're, we're done here, but, um, we do something called a patch challenge on the show where I give you a random adjective and a random noun. And then when we're done talking, you just set an alarm or a, a, a stopwatch for 15 minutes create a piece of music based off of these words and record a couple minutes of it and send that over with your your voice and i can drop that in okay if you have time to do something like okay that. cool yeah crazy good good so let me i'll get my patch challenge generator out here i have somebody built me one patch um let's okay. see here tired no no we don't want tired couples there's probably a lot of tired <laughs> couples out there. <laughs> golden anticipation that's kind of cool Gold, gold is a color that I often like see when I make music with certain instruments. It's a complete... I'm a bit of oh, an aesthetic, so this is very... Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I can easily do something. Oh, I'll send it over, very send cool. it to you over in a bit. All right. And, and before we get off, is there anything that you want to scream from the modular mountaintops or anything that we haven't covered yet that you want to you wanna say? <laughs> the modular mountaintops <laughs> no 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 buy my album <laughs> that's uh, i don't have anything to say thank you all for listening all right let's check out heimbach's golden anticipation golden anticipation this is what i came up with in 15 minutes
That was lovely. Thank you so much, Heimbach, for coming on the show. And thank you all for listening. I also want to thank this week's sponsors, 4MS, Afterlater Audio, Patchwork Seattle, Needham Woodworks, and don't forget to get your tickets to Synth Booth. Um, yeah, I'm so excited to see what your golden anticipations sound like. So send them in either at podmodcast at gmail.com or uh, on the Discord server. Um, thanks again to everybody who supports me on Patreon. Uh, if you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podmod, head over to patreon.com forward slash Modular Modcast. I think that's about all I'm going to uh, yammer about now. So uh, until next week.